And I want to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 12, this morning. Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a copy of the Scriptures. In the table of contents, you can find a page number for the Gospel of Luke and turn to chapter 12, verse 13. I want to read this morning through verse 36, or 34, rather. And I'm going to ask that you follow along in the Bible and listen as I read. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? Who made me a judge? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where, the, where, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is our 27th sermon in the Gospel of Luke. 
If you're new with us today, we're, we're doing a series right through the Gospel of Luke. One passage after the next. And today we come to this passage on greed and on worry. And I want to title my sermon, Enough. Enough. Because I think enough is what we're after. And I think enough is what this passage is after. So let's go to God in prayer. And if you will help me preach this this morning through your facts, yeses, and amens. (laughs) I would appreciate that. Can't do this alone, but more than you, I need the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and let's ask God for His help. Father, we, we do come to You and we ask that You would help us as we hear Your Word today, as we respond to Your Word. Help me as I, as I preach it, God, that I would share uh, boldly and clearly the comfort and the conviction that we have in this passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, a man named Booth Tucker was preaching at the Salvation Army Citadel in Chicago. He was preaching a sermon on the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that Jesus is enough. After a sermon, a man in the congregation came up to him and he said, my wife has recently died. My children are crying, wondering where their mother is. If your wife died, you would not be preaching what you preached this morning. Ironically and tragically, a few days later, Tucker's wife passed. Within a week, of that sermon, he was looking down at her casket, preaching again. And he said, just a few days ago, a man told me that if my wife died, I would not be able to say that Jesus is enough. He said, a man told me I wouldn't be able to speak of the sympathy of Jesus if my wife dies. If that man is here, I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken, but it has a song put there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. And I wonder if I might ask you this question. Is Jesus enough? For you, is he enough? Is he more precious than all of the precious things and all of the precious people in this world? Is Jesus enough? As we prayed this morning, this last week, a Category 5 hurricane ripped through the Bahamas. When something like that happens, it reminds us that life is not as stable as we would like it to be. 
as we think it to be? Have you ever realized that we organize our lives to pretend as if life is secure and stable? We distance ourselves from bad news. We see a video and we say, I can't watch that. Don't tell me that. We stay in our own lane. We keep to ourselves. We distance ourselves from problematic people. All as an attempt to pretend as if life is secure and stable. But chaos has a way of ripping through the walls of our stability. And whether that is today or sometime in the future, chaos will rip through your walls of stability and security, and you will be viscerally and painfully reminded that this world is crazy, chaotic, and we are not stable, we are not secure, we are not safe, we are vulnerable. I'm talking about some things right now that some people don't want to be reminded of, including myself. We are not as secure in this world as we would like to believe. Our things, I don't care what bank you've got. I don't care what kind of safe you've got in your house. Your things are not secure. And because we realize in these moments that we are vulnerable, that we aren't as secure as we would like to be, we then feel lost. This is why, church, we worry. Let's be honest. This is why, church, we have anxiety. If things were secure and stable, we would not worry. But we do. We worry about whether or not we will have enough food. Whether or not we will have enough money when we need it. Whether or not our house is going to be okay or we're going to be able to pay for our apartment. Whether or not our job is secure. Whether or not our friends are secure. Whether or not our kids are secure. And maybe more than anything, whether or not our kids' future is secure. And so we worry. And then what ironically happens in this sort of crazy way with worry is as we worry, we get greedy. We get something and it's ours, it's mine, back off. We tend to hoard. Generosity is not a core value in our hearts. Because I need this and I can't get enough of this. This text today speaks to this issue. Verse 23, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. This text is divided, could, can be divided into three parts. First, we see that a man comes to Jesus with a family feud. There's an issue that he's having with his brother. 
His brother has an inheritance that he believes he has a right to. And, and he comes to Jesus, and if you look at the text, uh, he asks Jesus. No, he doesn't actually ask, does he? He demands of Jesus. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, verse 13. Now, Jesus doesn't care about this one-sided demand. And by the way, this is a little side note. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but a worthy application point. I wonder how many times we come to Jesus not with a request, but with a demand. I'll just let that sit with you. Just a little ticking bomb. We'll go off later. Well, Jesus, ain't ha he's not having it. So in verse 14, Jesus says, man, who appointed me to be arbiter between you and your brother? Man, that is actually a good translation <laughs> for that word there. It's actually, the, in, the, in context, that word man is a rebuke. He's saying, uh, this, this is ridiculous that you would come to me with this one-sided request, and instead of uh, granting the man's request in verse 15, Jesus instead gives the man, and maybe not even just the man, but his disciples and those listening, he gives them a warning. In verse 15, he says, take care or watch out. Be on guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is a big word that we don't use, but it just means greed. All right there, all. That word there means all kinds, every form of. Be aware, watch out, for all kinds of greed, which means greed comes in different forms. Greed has different faces. We often think of greed as this, you know, certain kind of individual who's got a lot of clothing and a lot of cool jewelry or something like that. But greed, greed you know, the rich are prone to greed and the poor are prone to greed. The oppressor is prone to greed and the oppressed are poor, prone to greed. No matter who you are, no matter what you have or what you don't have, Greed comes in all forms. He says, take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, Jesus, what Jesus does at this point is he turns to those who are listening and he teaches on two different topics side by side. The first topic is greed, which you could have guessed. The second topic, which I wouldn't have thought of, but I'm not Jesus, the second topic he goes to right after greed is the topic of worry. And I want to see the connection here between these two themes today. But first, let's deal with greed. Leon Morris said, greed says, greed says, I can't get enough. Whereas worry says, I can't have enough. Let's first deal with greed. Are you with me? Everybody still awake? Greed says, I can't get enough. Two old friends met up on the road. One friend said, hey, how are you doing? And, and the guy seemed depressed, almost on the verge of tears. What's, what's the matter? What's going on? 
What's wrong? What has the world done to you? His friend says, well, about four weeks ago, my uncle died. And he left me $40,000. Okay. Sorry to hear your uncle died, but that's kind of cool. He said, well, the next week, the very next week, my cousin, who I've never met, he died. And he left me $80,000. Okay? So what's going on? Well, the week after that, my aunt, his mother, who I never met, she died. And she left me $250,000. His friend said, you sound blessed, brother. What, what's the problem? The man replied, well, this week, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Here's what greed says. Greed says I can't get enough. 40000 All I need is $40,000, right? If you had $40,000 right now, what could you do? How many of you would say, I would be happy right now if I just got forty grand? I know, I know what I would do. I would be set. Here's what greed does. Greed says it's not enough. We get 40000 but it's not enough. I need, I need more. I feel like I, ha- I lack. I, I need 80 comes. 250000 comes. What's, what's next? I can't get enough. Here's the crazy thing. This is, this is true. This is research. People always think they need $10,000 more a year in their salary. Always. They get it. They get that $10,000, if they get it. Guess what? They say, if I could just get $10,000 more a year, I would be happy. They get it. Eventually their salary is doubled. And you know what they say? If I could just get $10,000 more, I would have enough. Family, I'm telling you, whether you're making bank right now or whether you're broke, beware of all forms of greed because greed says, I can't get enough. Jesus tells a parable. This is how he teaches. The setting is a man who is a farmer and he, he has this abundant produce uh, coming off of his fields. More seed, more grain, more fruit than he would ever have imagined. It's a, as a matter of fact, he has enough come in in one harvest. It would feed a man and take care of a man for an entire life. This becomes a dilemma for our, our character. He says... In verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, this would be a dilemma. Imagine just all of this stuff coming in. What are you going it's, to... It's, it's, it's truly a dilemma. Well, he has a bright idea. Here's his resolution in verse 18. Ah, I've got an idea. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
I will store all my grain and my goods, and then I will say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I want you to notice, five times we see in verse 17 and 18, five times we see the word my. Look at it, my. My crops, verse 17. Verse 18, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. Here's the first lesson of greed, and it is this, greed is self-centeredness. Greed cannot see beyond the word my. Well, there's one other word that it sees. It's the word mine. It's self-centeredness. Here's, here's the logic of greed. Since this product is a result of my work, then this product is mine. I worked for it. It's mine. But we have to, as Christians, step back and we have to ask ourselves, who gave you the idea to get up and get a job? Who gave you the body that functions in such a way that you can work the job that you work? Who gave you that mind that was able to get the education, that was able to get the degrees that other people didn't get? Who gave you the parents that taught you a work ethic. Who gave you the breath every morning to wake up and go about your job? Who gave you the health that not everybody else has? That allows you to do what you do to bring in an income? As we do the logic from a biblical perspective, what we discover is this. The answer is God. God gave us even the ability to work. If that is a gift, if all of that is a gift, ain't nothing yours. Thank you. Thank you, Kayla. I was searching for that. <laughs> These possessions that we have are not actually ours. If this is the case, then what that means is that we are mere overseers of what we have, of the possessions, of a year's worth of produce that came in off of the fields, or a year's worth or many years' worth of income that you made in one year. It ain't yours. You're an overseer of something that God has entrusted to you. The reality check comes in verse 20. Remember, by the way, he says, my soul. Remember that? It's mine. This is my life. This is what God says in verse 20. Fool. Look at what he says. This night your soul is required of you. Meaning, the one who owns your soul is taking it back. Oh, you thought it was all yours. Listen, the fool, the real fool, the real fool is the man who lives for this earth with no thought 
of eternity. The real fool is the man who is focused on riches and building up possessions in this earth with no thought of riches in the next. The real fool is the man who lives for now and doesn't realize that right now the God who owns your soul could take it from you and demand that you give an account for your life. The real fool is the one who believes that he has or she has a long life and structures their life for ease without any concern for those around them and doesn't realize that that long life that you envision, that nice fancy retirement that you envision might never come. Because God can call you home right now. And you're standing before the Almighty God. I, I find it horrifying to go to a funeral of a young man that I knew in the community who lived his life as if he was going to be forever young. You only live once. YOLO. And the interpretation for this young man would be, so therefore I live for this earth as opposed for the, to the biblical application of you only live once, I live for the next. I've been to too many funerals where young guys were living out in the streets acting as if they will give an account to nobody. And now I'm at their funeral as a result of their lifestyle. And I'm looking at this young man in the casket and I have this horrifying reality that this man's soul has been required of him and he is now standing before the Almighty God giving an account for his life. This is real stuff here. This applies to the guys in the streets. This applies to the guys that work downtown in skyscrapers. This applies to every single one of us. We can live and structure our lives as if this world is all that we have. Verse 21, so is the one, this is the fool, who lays up treasure for himself right now and is not rich to God. The second lesson of greed is this. Greed is idolatry. It's just straight-up idolatry. If you're not familiar with the word, it just simply means worshiping other gods, worshiping idols. Greed is a form of an idol. Greed drives us toward bad actions. Greed is a driver. Greed is a taskmaster. Greed leaves destruction in its wake. The two examples here would be feuding with your brother or hoarding all of your possessions. This is the fruit of the God, which we call greed. You know the legitimacy of someone's faith. Not when they have so much in this world. Praise God if you do. God is a giver of all good gifts. And in this world, friends, that includes family. It includes money. It includes houses and comfortable beds. 
and things that you don't even need that He just blesses you with. Praise God for that. We ain't anti-material. Praise God for that. But the legitimacy of your faith is not seen when you have these things. The legitimacy of your faith is really seen when you you lose these things. If you still remain focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. I could go on. I'm thinking right now, should I go on with some illustrations? I'm not going to do it because I don't have time. But I'm thinking of people in this church who have lost who are currently going through seasons of loss. And I'm seeing the legitimacy of their faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be His name. No matter what I'm going through in life, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what it means to have a legitimate faith. Now, Jesus moves from greed directly into this topic of worry. And they're connected. I'm going to show you how they're connected. But this is what I think Jesus is doing and what what I'm going to try to show you. I think what Jesus is saying is, is what's behind greed is worry. You find a greedy man, you're probably going to find a worrier. You find a greedy woman, you're probably going to find someone filled with anxiety. I think what's behind greed, maybe not always, but often, is this topic of worry. So let's go there. Let's address worry for a few minutes. Worry says, I can't have enough. Greed says, if you remember, I can't get enough. Worry says, I can't have enough. I think John Wesley is a good example, at least for us to ponder, think about. John Wesley when he discovered his house had been burned down, his response was this, well, it was the Lord's house. (laughs) That's one less responsibility I have to worry about. You see this biblical logic? If, If all things are God's, then even our possessions are God's, and if God is, we've got to add some, some points here, but if God is all-powerful, right. if He is all-knowing, and if He is a good God, He's working all things for our good and for His glory, right. well then, when we lose, or when we even feel that we might not have enough possessions, well, we can be eliminated right. of worry. Because they're God's anyway. And I can just trust Him with His possessions that He lets me steward. And the lesser He trusts me with, the lesser I have to be responsible for. (laughs) Praise God, I'm broke. Praise the Lord. I'm not broke, by the way. You guys generously support myself and my family, and I thank you for that. Praise God for that. Just had to qualify that statement. (laughs) Verse 22. Verse 22. 
he, he, he simply says this, do not be anxious. Or that could be translated, do not worry. Isn't it kind of cool that the Christian life is to be a worry-free life? Isn't it cool that we have been commanded by God in the flesh, do not worry. Now, that's not a condemning law that we should put ourselves under and, and then think, oh my goodness, well, I'm worrying, and so therefore God hates me. No, this, this is an invitation to a worry-free life. Should I quote Bob Marley? <laughs> Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. It's going to be all right, Mom. Now, let me ask another question, though, on this. Does this mean, therefore, that the Christian life is without hardships? Because a lot of times, and this might have been Bob Marley, so I don't know, but a lot of times we think of the worry-free life as a life without hardships. Because we think of ourselves as, in some ways, um, trapped into worry when there are real hardships in this life. And so therefore, the way that we eliminate worry is to what? Is to eliminate all hardships in life and to build barns and to make sure that we have enough. But that does not produce a worry-free life. I will submit to you the most worrisome people in this world are people who have barns of a whole lot of stuff that they can lose. Worry is not to be free of hardships. And let me show you where I see this in the text. Look at verse 32, jumping down. Fear not. What does he call? Right after he says fear not, what does he call his followers? Somebody? Little flock. Fear not, he says. He calls them little flock. It's almost as if Jesus sits back and thinks, what is the most vulnerable picture I can imagine? And that's what I'm going to call these people. You are a little flock. You are little. Meaning you don't even have strength in numbers. And you are a little flock. Sheep. Sheep are the most vulnerable of all creatures. They are predators. I'm sorry, they are prey, not predators. Got to get that right. They are not defenders. They are defenseless. The vulnerable nature of sheep. That's what he calls you. You are a little flock. You are not a pride of lions. You are not a, uh, a pack of wolves. You're not even a flock of geese. Listen, geese are mean birds, all right? Amen? No, you are, you are in this world. I want you to sit with this picture because this frames the whole thing. Listen to me. You are like a little flock of sheep in a world with wolves. Does that sound like we have stability in this world? Does that sound like we're not going to have any hardships in this world? Does that sound like we have security in this world and everything's going to work out for us and hurricanes are never going to come our way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
Isn't it amazing? That He calls us a little flock. And He instructs this vulnerable little flock to be a little flock that lives in a chaotic, harsh, violent world, but lives worry-free. This is amazing, church. This is amazing. Meaning, our hope is, is actually beyond this world. It's not in what this world can provide or doesn't provide. Do not fear. Do not be afraid, little flock. How do we live worry-free? He gives us two analogies, two illustrations to show us how we live worry-free. The first one is the birds in verse 24. The birds. Consider the birds of the air. Birds, by the way, are a good analogy because this shows us that uh, the, ap- the correct application is not for us to just sit back on our hands and not do anything and expect God to give us what we want. God feeds, he says, the birds. But how does God feed birds? Do they just sit in their nice little nest that God made for them and God has an angel drop worms in their mouth? No. Birds are hard workers. They work all day trying to find that worm. Birds also store seeds during the summer months for the cold months. How is it that God provides for the birds in the winter. It's because of their hard work and it's because of their storage. It's because of their savings in the summertime. You see, Jesus is not about anti-planning. He's not saying have no storage. Don't plan for the future. Some of the ways that we need to be planning for the future is through saving some of what we make. Now, I don't think our problem in this church is that we're saving too much. In this church, our problem is probably the fact that we're saving too little. You're going to be a hardship on somebody someday because you haven't even thought about putting anything away. So one of the ways that God provides for us is through our careful planning. Are you tracking with me? It's through our hard work. So the the picture of the birds is is not a sort of a, uh, hey, just be lazy. God doesn't bless laziness. If man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's Bible. He don't bless laziness. Birds are an example for us. They're a picture for us of what it's like to work hard, to plan to save, and to do so worry-free. Because birds are never twiddling their feathers, worrying about tomorrow. And if it's a, it's, this is the argument that Jesus always It's a lesser to greater argument. If God cares for the birds in this way, and you see them eating, how much more is he going to care for you, you blood-bought citizen of the kingdom of God? The second analogy he uses is of the lilies in verses 27 and 28 on the hillside. These lilies, after a rain, would bloom. And they would exist for only one day in full bloom. And then they would die. And then people would come along and get all of these dead flowers and stick them in the oven. And they're so beautiful in their bloom. Again, it's an argument of lesser to the greater. If God cares for these little Flowers of the field. How much more does he care for you? His blood-bought child. Adopted into his family. Worry. I want you to remember this. Worry is worthless. It's worthless, Jesus says. Whoever has added one single hour to their life because of worry. 
As a matter of fact, worry does the opposite. There are physical effects to worry. Some of the physical effects of worry are dizziness, a fast heartbeat, fatigue, headache. Meaning uh, it feels like you just worked a 15-hour day and you've only worried for five minutes. What have you accomplished with all of that energy? Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't worry. Go ahead and worry about your situation. It's not going to change it. Go ahead and worry about whether or not you're going to get a call back. It's not going to change it. Go ahead and worry about your kids. It's not going to change it, anything. It doesn't do it. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything. Secondly, worry is an issue of the heart. We often think of the Christian heart as like a thermostat. What I mean by that is when, when uh, the temperature drops below a certain degree, a thermostat kicks the furnace on. And we often think of the Christian heart as kind of acting in that automatic sort of fashion, meaning we don't have to ever focus on what our heart is set on. We don't ever have, it just should automatically be focused on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It should just automatically uh, kick into faith. It should just automatically kick into treasuring things of heaven. And when we think of our faith, when we think of our heart, as just sort of happening automatically, we've misunderstood our part in sanctification. The Bible here tells us to set our hearts on something, meaning you're going to have to take your heart, and I don't mean your physical heart, I mean the seat of your emotions, I mean the, the essence of what you hope in, uh, what you treasure. You've, you've got to take these the, the, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it inside of you that hopes in something, you've got to take that and you need to place that in a certain, a certain place. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Negatively, in verse 29, he says it this way, don't set your heart on the possessions of the world. That's what the pagans do. That's what the nations do. They chase after the things of the world. Positively, in verse 32 and 35, do seek after, do set your heart on the things of heaven. Because your heart is bound up in your treasure. The issue, church, is not whether or not you should read the book 10 Easy Ways to Live a Worry-Free Life. Our issue is not that we need somebody to call, come along and say, oh, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. No, it won't. <laughs> Our issue is this. Do you treasure God above everything else? What do you treasure in this life? What is your heart set upon I want you to see this. Christ is not just the teacher this morning in this passage. Christ is the answer in this passage. He is the teacher who can rightly say, set your affections on me. Set your heart on me. Why is that? How is that possible for us? Well, it's because Christ lived the perfect life that we should have lived. In this world, chaotic world, He went to the cross and He died the most excruciating death you can imagine. This world did its worst on Christ. 
And he died there in our place, hanging for me, hanging for you, taking on the wrath of God for us, taking on the punishment of sin and of death for us, taking on the curse of the law for us. And it buried him, and for three days he was in the grave. But I think you all know what happened three days later. Early, one Sunday morning, Jesus rose again from the dead. And when Jesus got up from the dead, Jesus gave us this wonderful invitation to come to Him, find life in Him, turn from our sins, trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, and be freed. And essentially, He's saying this, I'm going to raise you up too. This world can do its worst on you. This world is unstable. This world is shaky. This world is scary. This world isn't, uh, uh, does lack security. But listen, I'm going to raise you up. So when the world finally does its worst on you and you die, it ain't over. It's just beginning. He's raising us up from the dead church. The question then is this, where is your treasure? Is your treasure in the things of this earth that are fading, or is your treasure in this God who sent His Son to say, I'm going to make a wretch my treasure? If He made us His treasure, how much more can we make this God our treasure and say, oh, I just want to see His face. I want to I be with Him. My hope is not in this earth, but my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in heaven. Now he gives us a quick tip, and I know I'm out of time. But if you will give me a few more minutes. He gives us a, few, he gives us a tip in verse 33 and 34. He says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, a tre- uh, with, with treasures in heaven that will not fail, for where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is this, is Jesus saying you're not allowed to own anything? Is he saying literally we should go out and, and sell literally everything we have? Well, he doesn't actually say, he says sell, sell your possessions. But we also know that Jesus ate in Martha's home. We also know that Jesus himself had money. And his disciples had money that they used to buy food. We see that the church was birthed in people's homes that they owned. Lydia had two houses. This isn't to say that we should have no possessions. Jesus is giving us here a a gut-wrenching picture of generosity. What he's saying is this. I don't want to miss the forest for the trees, if you would. What he's saying is this. Counter worry through generosity. I just said something big there. But maybe you don't like it. Counter worry through generosity. Here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. Is, is serve people. The, the greedy person is always a self-centered person. The worrier, I think, is often a self-centered person. What he's saying is this, is become others-centered. 
to fight your worry, to fight your greed. See the things that you have not as my possessions, not as something just for me, but but all of who I am, including my personality and my energy and the things that I do own. How can I use these things to serve others in this world? Now, why does that help us? Well, serving others is a way to love God. Don't you understand that we love God in the way that we treat others? Don't you understand that we display our understanding of the Gospel as we serve and love others? Jesus is saying this, serve others and ignite your passion for the things of heaven. And he quickly, right there, he turns it and he says, for if you put your stuff up in heaven, if your treasure is in your possession, if that's where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the point of this family? And I'm done. What's the point of this? It is simple. You can never have enough in this world. Greed says, I can't, I can't get enough. I got this, I got that. I accomplished this. I set out for this project, and now that I have it, I've got to set my sights higher, and I need something more, and more, and more, and more, and I can never be satisfied, and I'm on this rat race. Greed says, I can never get enough. Worry says, I can never have enough. I thought that this would bring me peace in life, but I need more. I I don't have enough. My foundation is not strong enough. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with worry. In this world, church, you can never have or get enough. Martin Luther, he said this, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. What is he saying? He's saying when I place my treasure in God, when I place, let's get specific, my heart, what I hope in, what I set my affections on, when I place that in God's hands, my heart is secure. And my treasures are secure. The question I have for you is this. When was Jesus not enough for you? Since when is Jesus not enough? When has Jesus ever failed you? I hope and I trust for you personally, the answer is never. He's never failed me. He's always enough. He's always sufficient. For Booth, this preacher who lost his wife, what's going on there? The issue is this. His heart was always in heaven. His heart was always in heaven. His treasure was always in heaven. Safe in the hands of God. Not in the things of this earth. Oh, he loved his wife for sure. But she was not His treasure. She's now with His treasure. Are you tracking with me? I wish I could preach this the way I feel it. She's with His treasure. Your treasures are not in this world. They are fading. 
Our treasure must be in heaven. We can lose treasures in this world and not lose our heart. Because Christ is our ultimate treasure and our heart belongs to Christ and Christ is enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that Christ is enough. We thank You for the fact that we have a treasure in heaven, in Christ, that moths cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. God, therefore, eliminate worry in our life. Help us to trust You with the little bit or the lot that we have. And as a result, God, eliminate greed in our life. Not just so we can be better people, but because we want to treasure Christ above all else. Because Christ is more valuable than anything possessions can give us. And we want Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.